it's Dr. Narala Jacobi. If you treat SIBO in your clinic and are interested in the causes that entrench chronic or relapsing SIBO, you're invited to my live and online masterclass on preventing SIBO relapse on March 9th as part of the Bioceuticals Clinical Mastery Series. If you want to learn the evidence-based approach I use to manage this condition, reserve your place at bioceuticals.com.au. Hi guys, it's Damien here. Today's episode is absolutely fascinating. We've interviewed Dr. Kelly Holton. He's a chiropractor and a researcher in the space of neurodecline. So neurological decline and what happens post-injuries, for example, stroke or demyelination, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you'll notice that the interview is quite chirocentric and that's for good reason, I think. And really what I'd love you all to see and hear today is how we can all work together in an integrative care model, in a shared care model to bring about the best results for our patients. You will find it's a little bit focused on Cairo, but I'd love you to keep an open mind as to how can you care for your patients who are experiencing neurological decline and who else can you bring into that model? And it may be a chiropractor. This could open your mind. I hope you enjoy it. This is FX Medicine, bringing you the latest in evidence-based integrative functional and complementary medicine. I'm Dr. Damien Christoph, a Melbourne-based chiropractor and naturopath, and joining us on the line today is Dr. Kelly Holt. Kelly is the current president of the New Zealand College of Chiropractic. He's a world-renowned researcher and PhD recipient, and his research includes the exploration into falls risk in the elderly, the effects of chiropractic care on patients post-stroke, amongst other great things. Today, he joins us from Auckland, New Zealand, and I know everyone will be fascinated with what we chat about today. Kelly, it's a real pleasure to have you joining us today. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, Damo. Kelly, um, there's a lot going on in your world, and obviously from the introduction, people know how busy you actually are. I don't even know how you find time to continue to do research, but um, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Heidi Harvick and uh, obviously you've done a lot of work with her over the years and uh, and she's pulled out some unbelievable research but so have you you've done some incredible research too and I want to talk a lot about what you've done today because it really opens the door and shines a light on what chiropractic can actually offer people that maybe people have never considered chiropractic could actually offer people we discovered you know the impact of or chiropractic on the brain and proprioception we were you know talking with um, Heidi but um, I think we're going to go deep deep diving with what you're talking about today and I think it's going to blow some people's minds which I'm very excited about and when you know when when you started doing your research there must have been some kind of impetus for you to kind of move in a particular direction Kelly and and I've always found it fascinating, you know, how do you know what to research and how do you know where to go? What led you to the point where you would research what you're researching? Well, if you look at the, the very beginning of, of when I was getting into research, um, or really getting into research, that was probably about 15 years ago. And mm. you know, that, that's when Heidi started working at the college. We started collaborating. And Heidi's focus was basic science research. You know, her, her big thing is... How does it work? So, you know, she's just convinced chiropractic care works. It makes a difference on on the nervous system, brain body communication, and she's really driven to to find out how it works. And for me, I, I come at it from 
you know, a slightly different direction uh, where I have more of a clinical focus because, you know, Heidi's convinced that, that it works, so why would I need to show that? For me, it's, I absolutely know that chiropractic care works, but so many people out there in society don't know it works. So I came, I wanted to come at it from a clinical focus where we're doing more of the clinical research, you know, randomized controlled trials just to see how well chiropractic care actually does work. And part of the idea there was, uh, you know, to begin with, Heidi and myself were pretty much a, a team of two. And we figured that if I had that clinical focus, it would complement what Heidi was doing with the basic science research. So it was sort of building on what she'd started to do already and looking at a clinically relevant population of people uh, where we thought chiropractic care would make a difference to them. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, the focus that we look at is nervous system function. And one of the big problems we've got in society is falls in older people. And part of that comes down to function of the nervous system. There are things like balance and gait and those sorts of things. So that's the direction I went down. You know, I wanted to look at a clinically relevant population of people where improving their nervous system function could have a real impact on their health, wellness, and quality of life. So really, that's really what took me in that direction. Yeah, well, it was a big um, eye-opener for a lot of people. And, I, and I, when that research came out that you did in terms of falls risk in the elderly, it was, a, it was a huge moment for chiropractic worldwide because chiropractors have, as you said, have always known that chiropractic works. We've not necessarily known how it works or why it works, but we've known that it works. But what was a great thing was that you were able to demonstrate that a period of, over a period of time and from memory, and I'll get you to clarify this, it was maybe only 12 weeks of chiropractic care um, that, in, that showed a positive improvement, a significantly positive improvement in, um, the, in a decrease in risk of falls in the elderly. Is that correct, something along those lines? Yeah, something along those lines. What we looked at, uh, uh, it was really sensory motor function that was related to falls risk. Because the, the challenge is if you really want to show a decrease in falls risk, uh, what you need to do is study people really over the course of about a year, and you'd need several hundred people in each group, which would be right. quite a big trial. It would, it would cost you know, a million bucks plus to do that. And yeah. I was doing this research as a part of my PhD, and if I was going to do that, that major trial, that would have been – we just couldn't have done it within uh, the structure of my PhD with, with time, logistics, all of that sort of thing. So what we wanted to do was look at things like uh, joint position sense, so how the brain controls the joints and, and knows where you are in space. Uh, another thing we looked at was choice step and reaction time, so how quickly you could take a step to try and prevent a fall from happening. So we had the, these measures of sensory motor function where we where we know that if they improve, it, it means you're less likely to fall. So that's what we use was more of these surrogate measures, sensory uh, motor function associated with falls risk. And we yeah. saw improvements in a bunch of these things, which were really cool. Yeah, that's so cool. I remember that. It was pretty exciting. But can I just uh, ask a question here, Kelly? Uh, what do we know about the brain as it ages? What, what actually happens to the brain as it ages that maybe makes things more complicated for people as they do age? A pretty big question. There's so much happens in the brain. It basically becomes less efficient, um, in a way sort of slows down. Uh, part of that's impacted by a breakdown in 
sensory function. So the, the sensory information that's going into the brain, you know, from from hearing, from vision, uh, that takes a little bit of a hit. Also, proprioception that takes a bit of a hit. So as you have more, I suppose, garbage going in, then the response in the brain uh, decreases and and it becomes a little bit less accurate. I, I suppose you could say. And then throw in there, you know, a lot of people with an aging brain, you end up with things like uh, dementia or cognitive decline. So as we get older, the the facts are usually about a third of people don't have much impact as far as cognitive decline or things like dementia. A third of people have some sort of mild dementia. And then a third of people are really hit with things like Alzheimer's. So you do have an awful lot of changes in the aging brain that have a big impact on how we live our lives and how we can perform our activities of daily living, how we can stay independent and mobile. And so obviously as you know, population's aging, we're seeing an increase in all these sorts of things and quite often we find that people go, well, you know, what sort of supplements can I take? People are taking maybe fish oil or having some extra magnesium or maybe some N-acetylcarnitine or cysteine or whatever, you know, whatever supplement they're taking to try and decrease um, the speed or the rate of aging, you know, trying to decrease inflammation. You know, they're approaching aging from a nutritional perspective. But Mm -hmm. your research would suggest that if we approached aging from a movement perspective, that might also be of benefit. And, And that's kind of about right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So much of the decline that we have with aging, it, it comes down to use it or, or lose it. And as mm-hmm. we become less active, uh, you, you can have a, a very quick decline. You, know, you become frail because you're actually not getting out there and doing the activities that you used to do. That was one of the, the things that was a part of my falls research was you have a fall and you lose that confidence to be out there in society and doing the things that you know, keeping you active, keeping your joints moving, keeping your muscles working, and you can have a very quick decline in function uh, leading to frailty and ultimately death just because you're not using your body the way that you used to. So mm-hmm. it very much is a case of use it or lose it. So as we age, uh, absolutely look after yourself when it comes to nutrition, but also do everything you can to keep active. Because when you stop moving, you, you lose the ability to move. Yeah, yeah. And so I suppose it's, you know, we go through that period of synaptic pruning in the early years of teenagehood um, where we lose massive amounts of neurons and synapses and all that sort of thing. And, you know, through our life, obviously that slows down, but there is that continual loss. And I think you're right. Oh, I know you're right, Kelly, because you're the researcher here. You know, as you stop moving, you stop feeding back, feeding, you know, feeding forward and feeding back, you know, through the body, through the brain. And there's a decline in function, proprioception, your ability to find yourself in space. So, when you extend that out and that uh, neurological loss in the brain, do we see the same sort of neurological uh, deficit or decline in the peripheral nervous system or is this all confined to the central nervous system? Pretty much everything goes downhill as, as we age. Now, we tend to talk more about the, the central nervous system, but you know, across the board, we become less efficient within the nervous system. Now, you're talking more about um, the, the, the synapses and, and those types of things, which we associate more with central nervous system function. Mm-hmm. But you know, even things like vibration sense, joint position sense, that have a certain amount of origin, well, that have the origin in the peripheral nervous system, they take a hit as well. 
Oh, it's so fascinating and, you know, people that are listening to this will be thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got patients that are getting old and, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do for them? And, yes, I've got their diet right. They're eating more cabbage and broccoli and, you know, spinach and alfalfa sprouts. They're doing all of that and they're taking their supplements, doing all that sort of stuff. But from a movement perspective, this is all really important as well. And so what was the essentially, you know, and we'll move on from falls risk in the aging brain and we'll move to a damaged brain shortly. But what were the takeaways? What's the key takeaway that you got from your research um, with regards to decreasing falls risk in the elderly? Well, my main focus was looking at chiropractic care and it was really to try and work out whether uh, chiropractic care had an impact on brain function that was going to be beneficial to these older people because we, we don't have a lot of clinical research relating to chiropractic care, one, in older people, but two, outside of things like back pain, neck pain and headaches. So really what I was looking at was when we adjust your spine, which can have an impact on proprioception or the, or the information coming from your body going into your brain, does that lead to better brain function? And really the, the research that, that I did, it suggests that it does. Uh, you know, it, it looks like when you have a, a spine that's moving better, that can have a positive impact on the way that your brain is working and on brain-body communication, which can be important for things like falls or the way that you control your body in space. Yeah, I love that. Now, one question that will come up with people, Kelly, um, is the type of adjustment that somebody might actually get from a chiropractor can vary. So it could be everything from a heavy Gonstead single-segment type of adjustment through to a a drop-piece kind of adjustment, you know, with Thompson technique, for example, um, or it might be SOT, which is relatively light on using blocks and very light touch all the way through to a stick that clicks in an activator. Now, yep. so is there a big difference between technique uh, that you found? Was there, was there much of a change? Did you, did you see that it needed to be a manual adjustment or could it have been a stick that goes click? No, we didn't set out to look at that, but um, I did spend a hell of a long time looking at all of the data that I did collect and did some subgroup analyses just to see whether there was an impact based on the types of adjustment or chiropractic care that the people were getting. So you know, we had a, with older people, we had a lot of uh, the chiropractors who were providing the care. They could, they could provide care like they would in practice. And there was a bunch of them who were using activator um you know, instrument-assisted adjustments, a bunch of them using drop tables, a bunch of them using HVLA, the more manual sort of techniques. And really there was no difference when we when I broke those down into groups. Now, there's other research that's been done that has shown some small differences between, you know, say, an activator and a manual adjustment with the impact that they have. But the study that I did, you know, I looked pretty closely at it. There was no real difference. It was... Uh, across the board with the chiropractic care group. You know, they had these positive changes. The control group who wasn't receiving care didn't have the positive changes and it didn't have a big impact, uh, you know, what sort of techniques the chiropractor was using, which was really interesting. And I love that, Kelly. And the reason why I love that so much is because every person on the planet responds to care in a different way and every person on the planet will build relationships with their practitioner but I think that um, what we see is that people go to a chiropractor because of the type of care that they provide and the type of person that they are. And so what it appears from your research and the things that you've read and that you report on and talk about is that regardless of the type of care that you're receiving, the impact of the care that you're receiving will benefit the person 
um, equally, regardless of the type of care they're receiving, which which I love. And that kind of means that, you know, whether you're a, a pretty light on adjuster or a pretty hardcore adjuster, you're going to be impacting the brain in a similar sort of way, which which I love. I think that's that's a great thing. Yeah, that, that certainly came out of that study that I did. And we've got another study that, um, that we've done that we're sitting on, uh, which is very different to the stroke one, but it was uh, looking at using an activator adjusting instrument and how it impacted brain function. And we hadn't done that before, uh, but in this study, and so we didn't know what to expect. We've done lots of studies where we've done the manual uh, adjustments um, and looked at the way that it impacted brain function. In this latest one, and again, it's unpublished, but we used an activator adjusting instrument and we saw very similar changes in the brain to the ones that we did when we did the manual adjustments, which was really interesting. Ah, it's unreal. Um, Kelly, let's uh, move on to some of the more recent research or the very most recent research that you've had published. And and two papers that you've had um, recently published, uh, one outlining the effects of four weeks of chiropractic spinal adjustments on motor function in people with stroke using a randomized controlled trial um, model. That shows some incredibly positive information. Now, one of the things that I've loved about your research recently, and another paper that you um, wrote about is the effects of a single session of chiropractic care on strength, cortical drive, and spinal excitability in stroke patients. What I'm loving is that it's a multi-modality approach uh, to care. So you've teamed up, you've used physiotherapists or physiotherapy in with your research, and it shows that chiropractic is part of a whole care model that could integrate with naturopaths, integrative general practitioners, physiotherapy, could even be osteopaths and so on and so forth. But the chiropractic part of it is so important. Can you tell us more about the research um, that you've recently had published, please, mate? You bring up a really good point there, Damo, because with the research we're doing, we're not just saying that chiropractic should replace all other forms of healthcare or other approaches from other people but it absolutely can complement what other people are doing. So that was one of the things that we took into that four-week trial. Uh, the, actually, the second study you mentioned, that was the first one we did. So we, we did these over in Pakistan. We've got a, a great team of researchers that we work with, and one of the, the top people we work with is called Imran Khan Niazi, and this guy is an absolute legend. He has contacts all around the world in all sorts of different fields. And he managed to tee up for us to go and work in the hospital over in Pakistan um, and work on one of their rehabilitative wards. So we took off over there, I think it was 2015 or 16, something like that, and worked on one of these wards with the stroke patients. So people had had a stroke. And it was the, the first study that we'd done with stroke patients. And we were interested to know, you know, we'd done previous work. We would seen if you adjust someone, we saw immediate changes in their muscle strength. And we'd seen this in uh, students. We'd seen it in mainly healthy people. Uh, We've since done it in, in elite athletes, but I, I don't think we'd collected that data at that stage. But we thought you know, it's all well and good that we can see a change in muscle strength in a healthy student, but what does that really matter? Um, it would really matter more if we could see a change in muscle strength in someone who's had a stroke and has muscle weakness. So that's the study that we aim to do when we went over there. And that study was pre and post a single adjustment or pre and post uh, just a control 
uh, session, which was just passive movement. Interesting thing there was we, we were dealing with people who had no idea what a chiropractor was. So usually you have trouble with blinding of people. So you know, yeah. one of the criticisms we tend to have with chiropractic trials is the patient knew they'd been adjusted, so they just tried harder. So you know, the <laughs> people in the control group, they knew they hadn't been adjusted, didn't try as hard. That's why right. you see the changes that you do. But in that first study, one thing is the patients had no idea what a chiropractor was, whether they'd been adjusted or not really. But what we saw was about a 64% increase in strength in weak leg muscles after a single chiropractic adjustment or adjustment wow. session. And in the control group, they actually had a decrease in muscle strength because the way we go about testing it, it's like a gym workout where we're getting them to push, 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 push. And usually we see fatigue, which is what we saw in the control group. But in the chiropractic group, we saw the 64% increase in strength, which was quite amazing because we're used to sort of around about a 15% increase in strength in most people. Uh, and that was a really cool finding. And the other thing we found is we were doing some other neurophysiological testing, which showed that the change in strength was primarily driven by the brain. So it, it didn't come down to some sort of reflex change uh, you know, going on in the spine. Um, it was more the impact of adjusting the spine, how the brain function was then leading to that increase in muscle strength. So that was a really cool outcome. It blew us away, the, the outcome that we got. But again, you look at that, that's pre and post a single adjustment, and you're just looking at strength in one single leg muscle. So then the next question is, does that really matter? You know, someone's yes. had a stroke, does it really matter if you have what's potentially just a short-term increase in muscle strength in a leg muscle to how they function? So that's what led us to that next study, which was the four-week one. And again, we went back to Pakistan, same hospital wards. Um, that was maybe 2019. I sort of lose track of time. Um, and we, we spent two or three months over there doing the study. And what we were really conscious of was we know that uh, physical therapy care does help people as far as rehab when they've had a stroke. So you know, it does help them with their muscle function. And we didn't want to withhold that care, which we know helps them, and just give them chiropractic care just for the sake of seeing whether chiropractic care works or not. So in the control group, they actually received physical therapy care over the course of four weeks. And then in the uh, chiropractic group, they received the same physical therapy care, but we also adjusted them for four weeks as well. And the outcome measure that we looked at was called the Fugelmeyer assessment, which is pretty much a, a gold standard assessment of motor function uh, that's used in people who've had a stroke. So it takes something like half an hour or whatever to, to do the Fugelmeyer assessment. It's a pretty comprehensive assessment of, of motor function. And we had no idea what we were going to find because you know, we, we figured that we'd find an improvement in the physio group, but it's really hard to find an improvement on top of an improvement. So we didn't know if we were going to get that by adding chiropractic care or not. Then when the results came through, again, we were pretty blown away because we, we did find that improvement in everyone, but the patients who were receiving chiropractic care had a really good improvement on what they got from just the physio care alone. 
And with the analysis we did, it, it may even be like a clinically significant improvement um, on top of a clinically significant improvement, which was a pretty cool finding to have. Um, so I was just talking with Imran, I think it was yesterday or the day before, looking at how we can get back to Pakistan and do some longer-term studies over there. Uh, you know, we did four weeks in that last study. We'd love to do a six-month study and really follow up these people for a longer period of time. That would be fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So I think this is an interesting thing to also consider, and maybe you can tell us, you know, in terms of adjustments that these people received. Were they getting adjusted once a week? Was it twice a week? Was it every day? Because, you know, if you think about back into history, if you go back into, say, the the Spears Chiropractic Hospital where we saw people go into the hospital um, with polio and spend, you know, weeks or months in there until they were recovered and then they'd, you know, leave in pretty good shape. So what were you doing in terms of an adjustment perspective with these patients? Most of them we were seeing uh, three times a week. And the reason we went with that is basically because that's what I would do in practice. Um, So three times a week, adjusted them as necessary uh, during the time that they were there. And one of the really interesting things, Damo, was we, we were also seeing the people in the control group three times a week as well, and we were checking them and putting them through all the standard sort of setups that we'd do as if we were adjusting them, but we weren't putting them that adjusted thrust. And yeah. what I noticed is very quickly the people who were in the experimental group you know, those that were, that were receiving the chiropractic adjustments, yeah. I was noticing a change in their demeanor as they were coming in over the course of even a week. And I started getting gifts and you know, I invited to go and stay at people's houses and you know, come, come and visit me in, in my holiday <laughs> really? home. Uh, you know, here's some dinner. And all of these <laughs> things were coming from the people in the chiropractic group. So yeah. those poor people in the control group who weren't getting the same benefit, they weren't quite as nice to me. But the ones who were really adjusting, you could see a yeah. change in their demeanor, which was really cool. That is really cool because I, I, I've helped quite a number of people, not lots of people, but a number of people who have had um, injuries from stroke. And there is definitely... You know, there's the, you, they come in very flat. You know, people come in, they're quite withdrawn and they're a little bit over everything and everything's kind of, you know, life has been tough for them. But you do see that improvement in their overall mental health and their well-being. I love that you were able to see that. Was it good food, Kelly? Did they give you good food? Uh, the food was actually incredible. I actually yeah. loved the food over there. <laughs> That's amazing. Kelly, the research, when I look at um, the little graphs that you've got in that paper um, that you, you know, where you're tracking patients for four weeks, the stroke patients for four weeks, it looks like the results that these people got seemed to last. There was a few people maybe that got some decline that didn't last long, but it seemed that after four weeks, people continue to have that same sort of improvement or, or at the very worst, it maybe just plateaued out. So they got it, got the care, and then it stayed good. Is that what you found? Yeah, we, we did the, the study for eight weeks. So we checked and adjusted them for four weeks, and then we followed them up four weeks later. Mm-hmm. And we had we had a reasonable sort of dropout between the four and the eight weeks. And the reason mm-hmm. for that, which I found out after the fact, is a lot of the people who we were seeing in the study had come from hundreds of kilometers away. And oh, wow. they, they'd heard that we were doing the study, so they were coming from all over the, the district, the area, and you know, the, the caregivers were bringing them and they were staying with friends and relatives and they could only really stay for the four weeks. 
Mm-hmm. And then, so we lost a few in that follow-up period, but the ones that we could follow up for the full eight weeks, for most of them, the improvement lasted. So even without any more care, we still saw that improvement after eight weeks. Uh, we didn't have the statistical significance after eight weeks, which is probably, in, in my mind, was probably due to the dropout that we saw. But mm-hmm. um, you know, if you look at the graphs, you can see that those improvements are still there, which was a really cool finding as well. Yeah, that's really cool. And was that the same sort of finding that you found with uh, falls risk? Did you find that you know we provided the 12 weeks of care uh, to the people that you're measuring with you know, central motor or central, I can't remember what you said it was, but, you know, the 12 weeks of they got the care. Did that last as well when they finished their care? We didn't really follow up with them. So we just did the, the 12-week assessment and then didn't follow up any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that a bunch of them did continue under chiropractic care and I, I keep getting these reports from, from these people about um, you know, the ongoing improvements that they had. But we didn't do any follow-up just to, to see how long the uh, improvements lasted. would have been great yeah. to do that, uh, yeah. but it, it just wasn't feasible with the, the time frame that we were working on with the study. And also, we didn't want to withhold care from them if they decided to carry on once the study had finished. So yeah. can't really tell you for sure. Uh, I'm sure we would have seen a lasting result, but for how long, I, I don't really know. But we don't know at this stage. But it does highlight how much more research we could be doing in this space. But even in in the early days, and you know, this is obviously a research paper that's going to lead to another research paper, and you know, further investigation and all that sort of thing. So, which is very very exciting. And I think the listeners to this podcast will go, "My gosh, I had no idea that chiropractic was good for that." Because I thought that chiropractic was all headache, neck pain, and back pain. Um, but from what we've heard from both yourself and Heidi. Um, chiropractic so much more than that. If we look at, you know, I suppose brain damage in, in this sense with regards to stroke, could we be thinking down the track, and maybe this could be something that gets researched, could we be thinking like TIAs or other forms of brain damage? Um, I know that there's some great research being done in the US uh, with post-concussion uh, syndrome patients, um, you know, looking at whether or not chiropractic care can be of benefit to a degenerating brain as a result of injury, could we be seeing that chiropractic might be playing a role in, in the way in which we're approaching patient care? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like you said, we've only really started scratching the surface here when, when it comes to brain function and chiropractic care because so much of the, the effort of the profession over the last few decades has been focused on back pain, neck pain and headaches mm-hmm. um, because you know, we see in practice that we have improvements there all the time. So... Yeah. Uh, and that's a major problem for society as well. So we've started scratching the surface with older people, uh, looking at brain function, cognitive decline, those types of things. And you mentioned uh, post-concussion syndrome. We've actually got an amazing researcher in our group, Alice Cade. She's doing her PhD at Auckland University looking at uh, people with concussion and chiropractic care. So there should be some good stuff coming out there in the next year or two. And if you look at uh, the studies that we did over in Pakistan, we collected a lot of data there and we're in the process of analysing some data from groups of people who had Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and also another group who had Parkinson's disease. Oh, wow. So you know, we are looking at what's, uh, what impact chiropractic care has in lots of different patient populations. 
what we've yeah. seen so far suggests that it's a fantastic idea to get your spine and nervous system adjusted by a chiropractor, particularly if you've got some sort of damage, like you've had a stroke. Um, but you know, we know in practice that anyone can benefit if your brain-body communication improves through adjusting someone's spine. It's, it's going to be beneficial all round. But we, we will have more research to back up uh, you know, the impact of chiropractic care in these different patient groups over the next few years, which will be cool. When um, I was studying at the NZCC, um, one of our lecturers was a Carrick Institute graduate. And Ted Carrick, yep. as you know, is a world-renowned, I suppose, explorer and um, well-researched chiropractor uh, in, in the field of neurology and neuro neurorehabilitation. And I recall when he was going into hospitals, um, obviously with permission, and in research sort of um, environments, that when he would look after stroke or brain-injured patients, that he would start a long way away from the brain. And I always thought in my mind that you needed to provide less inputs to the spine for a brain that had been damaged. Um, is is that still the case? Is that still the current thinking? Um, do do we feel like you've got to you know adjust the little toe to be a long way away from the brain, to, so as to not to overload it or to overexcite it? Or is that kind of thinking changing, Kelly? I don't think it really has changed. Um, I mean, I did the, the carrot course many years ago with Randy Beck, who you're talking mm-hmm. about there, and yeah, you know, Ted is an absolute genius, yes. um, very polarizing figure, but still a genius. And you know, the approach that he takes is you know, talking about awakening the brain, I suppose, building plasticity and building resilience in the brain. Mm-hmm. And if you take someone who's had a brain injury, uh, often the brain is functioning and it's it's on the edge of basically falling over. And often it's the afferent input or sensory input that's coming into them that pushes them over the edge. You know, someone's got a migraine, it might be uh, sights or sounds or smells, and it's that afferent information that's coming in and pushing their brain over the edge so they can't cope anymore and uh, basically end up with that migraine or end up going downhill. And Mm. certainly if someone has had concussion, they've got an issue with cerebellar function, and we come in there and adjust them, say, upper cervically with a, a manual adjustment, that's probably one of the biggest things we can do as far as an affluent barrage going into the brain. Mm-hmm. So for some of those people, that might be too much. And yes. really that's part of, uh, you know, part of the art of chiropractic care is working out what's the appropriate care to, to provide them. Uh, and you know, we do that in practice. It might be that we are starting further away than, than upper cervical or not. Um, yeah. But we, we quickly adapt what we're doing if we're finding that we're not getting the results that we want. So yeah. absolutely, if you, you look at what Carrick was doing, starting away from you know, sort of the upper cervical spinous, I suppose, you know, there's absolute merit in doing that. Um, yep. Most chiropractors or all chiropractors though, will you know, come up with an approach that they feel works and modify if they're not getting the results that they're after. Which I think is a really important thing to consider is that you know, you chiro- there are chiropractors and there are chiropractors and it's important to say that because some people will be very well versed and skilled um, and some people 
um, in, say, managing stroke or brain injury. And there'll be other chiropractors who are very well-versed and skilled uh, looking after children. Um, and other chiropractors mm. are very you know, well-versed and skilled looking after sporting injuries, for example. It's important, I suppose, to find someone who's not only interested in managing stroke, but someone who's you know, used to managing people with stroke, I suppose, to work in this sort of space. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely a fair call. Um, there's you know, some chiropractors who I would uh, get in touch with to see my kids over another chiropractor. Um, yeah. you know, we all have our own skill sets and uh, you know, specialist areas, I suppose, even though we're not really supposed to call ourselves specialists. Yeah. Um, but ab- absolutely, uh, you know, some chiropractors I know I'd, I'd rather go and see than others, for sure. Um, yeah. That, that all comes down to you know, time and practice, developing your skill sets, and also changing your approach based on the people that are in front of you, which which should every chiropractor should be doing as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Kelly, it's been absolutely fascinating chatting with you, and I'm so excited about the research that uh, and the analysis of the research that you've done. I'm excited to find out more about what's actually going on. And, and I think that what uh, a conversation like this does for the profession of chiropractic but also not only the profession of chiropractic but also for all carers out there listening to this particular podcast whether it be a a integrative gp whether it be a specialist whether it be an osteopath or a physiotherapist or a naturopath or whomever's listening to this particular podcast out there and i know there's thousands of you listening to this podcast it's not just about filling a space that doesn't exist this you know we're working with you to help you get better outcomes and i think that's that's it's been a great chat today and thank you for sharing with us your research always good to catch up Timo. So my pleasure to get more information head on over to chiropractic.ac.nz thanks everyone for listening today don't forget that you can find all the show notes transcripts and other resources on the fx medicine website i'm dr damien christoph thank you for joining us podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, this is Dr. Michelle Woolhouse. Join us on FX Medicine next week, where I'll be talking to Dr. Pran Yoganathan about the health impacts of the carnivore diet. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app and follow us on social media to make sure you never miss an episode.